Hi there and welcome to the sixth episode of the Valent Podcast. I'm Simon Weishall and today we're going to be discussing mental health. For those keen listeners amongst you, you may remember that when we launched the Valent Podcast, our very first episode with Gary Bedford and Loretta Wilson was also focused on mental health. The topic of mental health has remained an important one, especially following such a challenging year. And here at Valent, we wanted to do what we could to carry on that conversation. Opening up and having those initial chats, whether that's with a mate, a partner, or even a boss can be difficult. But it's important to remember that talking about mental health can often be the first step to getting help too. So it's such a huge topic to cover. As ever, I'm joined by a couple of great guests for today's episode. Dr. Luke Sullivan from Men's Minds Matter, which is a mental health charity based in London, and Oliver Stark, a heating engineer from Plumgas. Firstly, thanks to you both for joining me. Luke, do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about Men's Minds Matter? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Simon, for the introduction. Yeah, my, my name's Luke. Uh, I work as a clinical psychologist, so uh, in the NHS I work for a crisis team. I also uh, run a charity, so I set up Men's Minds Matter in 2009. Uh, it was an organisation that I felt was really needed because of the high rates of suicide in men, around about 70 percent of all suicides are men that's a, a statistic that holds true across the globe uh, and for me having something that spoke to men and that focused on that particular issue is really important so in 2009 uh, I set Men's Minds Matter up we became a community interest company in 2013 so combined with my work at the NHS and this platform that, that we have we take a model of working that I use within that home treatment team. We developed it in Men's Minds Matter. It's an intervention. So we position ourselves now as suicide prevention specialists specializing in developing and delivering interventions for people in crises. Thank you, Luke. Um, And Oliver, do you want to tell people a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I'm a a (coughs) gas engineer. Uh, Work for a company based in Stafford called Plum Gas. Uh, Previously worked for myself uh, for four years. Um, but I've actually been employed um, since September of last year. Uh, I've got a five-year-old son, and I'm due to be a father again. Um, Partner's pregnant. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Brilliant. And firstly, thanks, Oliver, for agreeing to come on. Um, I know you've been really open about about yourself and and your mental health. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about it? Yeah, so um, for, uh, for started, I reckon, about... I reckon I've been dealing with sort of mental health issues for about 10 years, um, weight-related, um, confidence issues, uh, anxiety issues, um, but it all came to head probably two and a half years ago now. It came to the point where um, I was sort of lying to my partner. When I was working for myself, um, I was telling her that I was going to work and I was driving sort of around down the road and falling asleep in my van all morning and then coming back home once she'd gone to work. Um, just really like confidence and stuff like that. Um, I was uh, I tried to seek uh, medical help um, through my doctor and stuff like that. Um, seemed to get fobbed off a little bit. Um, wasn't really much options there for me for help as such. Um, they seemed to just want to put me on um, antidepressants. I was on 200 milligrams of sertraline a day. Um, I remember then breaking down, my parents live in Dubai, um, I remember breaking down to my mum, say about two and a half years ago now, on a Skype uh, video call, 
finally admitted that obviously I've got you know I've got a major problem here. Um, and thankfully, through some investigating, my mum did. Uh, I seeked, um, I paid for some private counselling, um, and yeah, that was the f- the first sort of step for me, sort of getting myself, obviously, some me- proper medical help. It's nice to have obviously that third party to you know to offer me guidance in effect. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think last year was a, a strange year for everybody, and I think if one thing came out of twenty twenty was that more people have started talking more openly about mental health. Um, I mean, Luke, for you, really, I suppose, have you seen a rise in people reaching out to you for help? We know economic adversity, times when there have been financial global pressures, that we do see rises in mental health problems. There is a direct link between between economic adversity and mental well-being. But we didn't see the numbers necessarily to begin with, and I think there's a number of factors for that. I think at the beginning there was a lot of energy, a lot of people trying to work out what was going on, and this shared experience that everybody's going through almost makes it a little bit more normalised than it would do if you're there struggling alone with something that isn't shared with other people. It can be quite a lonely place. Um, The isolation particularly is, is a big factor, so social isolation, uh, has been particularly difficult for people that live alone. Oh yeah, no, of course, and I suppose there's a lot of different kind of triggers now for, for problems as well, isn't there, that, that we never used to... I mean, maybe they were there, but we never really realised? They're slightly amplified, I think, um, very much so. So this idea of, of going into lockdown, that's a forced isolation, uh, and that's quite tricky to, to manage. There's all sorts of things that can that can cause problems in that space, particularly if you are alone, the mind has this ability there or the, or the space then to start to, to, to create all sorts of chatter internally and that's one of the things that lead people, leads people to struggle with this tricky mind that we have. Um, there are other, other people that struggle. I think um, there's been a lot of monitoring of, of the effects of the pandemic and many people have actually thrived during this time. And I think, um, I mean, it's interesting, the, the isolation part of it, because Oliver, I know that obviously, you know, you're, you're a plumbing and heating engineer. So isolation is something that's not a new thing to, to you guys out and about there, maybe in a van, um, going out into other people's homes. But I think, it's, sorry, Luke, but is it more that, are we seeing people from trades, you know, coming forward asking for help or has that always been a problem area? Yeah, I'm not too sure that people from trades are, are, are sort of the natural help seekers. <laughs> I don't think they're front of foot when they're looking to, to, to sort of find help for for problems that they, they might not even be aware that they're experiencing. So not necessarily. And we have to remember that these mental health problems, they're indiscriminate. They can affect everybody. It doesn't matter how big or strong or tough you are. It doesn't matter how rich or, or, or how many friends you have. Or, you know, it's 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 indiscriminate if if certain things unfold in certain ways and the mind starts to activate in a certain way and we start to respond in in ways that don't necessarily find resolutions it can get us all so we all need to to pay attention to that's it. right and it, 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 it is actually such a difficult topic to discuss and and to be able to reach out to somebody about i mean you know you know i'm a man and but it's, it's difficult for guys to basically come forward and ask for help isn't it yeah, very much so, and, and, and it's, it, there's there's so many reasons that that sort of spending a lot of time thinking about this and and working with it, and then trying to sort of see how that fits with me as a man too is is is, is a journey that that's ongoing. You know, I'm a psychologist. I've worked as a psychologist for a long, long time, but still, I'm learning, learning, learning more stuff about myself, about others, and and, and what we're actually talking about when we're 
saying it's good to talk or or to to come forward and to to vocalize our struggles so many people just don't know they don't have the language or they haven't necessarily kind of tuned into kind of the feelings they may be numbing through certain behaviors like alcohol or other kind of things that sort of distract or don't necessarily resolve problems and if we don't register it we can't do anything about it so we know that men are more likely to come forward at a point where things have got to a point of crisis yeah and i think that's what i was that's what i was thinking i mean it, i mean I, I i completely understand how difficult it must be to ask for help i mean oliver you know at what point did you did you realize that you actually needed some help yeah like going back to say like you know lying to my my fiance saying i'm going to work and I'm going around the corner and, and sleeping in the van. And then as soon as she goes to work, I'm coming back and sleeping in bed all day. Um, they're not wanting to leave. <clears throat> excuse me. They're not wanting to leave the house and things like that. It was at the weekends where I'd drink heavily on a Friday night, you know, late into the morning, Saturday morning, just for, for, to give me an excuse not to get out of bed on Saturday, not to leave the house on a Saturday. And then the whole weekend was spent, obviously, battling a hangover. And then... In the weekdays, not that. Eventually, it was taking over my work, not going, not wanting to go to work, um, stuff like that. And it's like going back to the the, the whole isolation thing. I mean, like this lockdown. I mean, I've been, I've been in self um, exile for like sort of three years, where I just didn't want, didn't, I, I didn't leave the house. Um, I played cricket for Stafford all my life. Um, didn't get on the cricket club for three years. Too embarrassed to be seen. Didn't want to be seen by anybody. And just literally hid myself away. And it was and it just that just spiraled from there really. And thankfully, my partner, um, she's actually an NHS staff nurse. She noticed obviously there was you know there's problems here, and I'm just so thankful that obviously my partner and my mum, obviously you know sort of helped me get help really. After it was so difficult for me to break the stigma of obviously oh, I'm a man, I'm, you know man men aren't meant to show weakness. I have to be you know the man of the house, the the strength and stuff like that, and I got to be the man and stuff like that. For me to then finally break those barriers, admit that, you know, I've got, I've got a problem here and I need to get help was a huge, huge thing for me. And what that, that was the biggest thing. When I finally admitted to myself that I've got a huge issue here, that's when things started to turn for the better. Um, but it's, it was the most difficult thing I ever had to admit, but it's the best thing I ever did. And to be perfectly honest, it saved my life. So I'm so thankful that I did do that. I mean, there, there, there is, Ollie, there is, I mean, there's a massive stigma, isn't there, still surrounding it? I mean, you know, and I mean, Luke, is there, is there, is there much more we can actually do to try and break that down? Of course. <laughs> yeah, that stigma still exists, right? It's live, it's there, you know, it's within us. I think Oliver's speaking to it, as he says, you know, that idea of kind of putting it out there. We have all sorts of challenges speaking out because of what we believe will come back. Uh, or how it may be seen or, or how we uh, relate to these types of problems the idea that there's something wrong with the person that that there's an illness or some kind of deficit it's, or, or that it's weak or, or it, it's something that um, represents something about somebody in a way that they're they're not functioning or not or will never be able to function in the future all of these sort of fantastical ideas about what mental illness mental health is and it's none of that you know these are uh real life human struggles and i think going back to when i did the first podcast over maybe two years ago now was kind of like it was interesting to me to find out some of the 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 real trigger points that you can look out for to kind of start the conversation with people i remember talking to the um 
to the psychologist we had, Loretta, about um, watching for people that didn't enjoy their hobbies anymore, people that used to go to the gym, stopping to go to the gym. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's really important that we kind of, like, remember those. And again, Oliver, there will have been people looking at you saying, hey, you know, you used to enjoy playing the cricket and, and you know, people need to understand that the trigger points are there. Um I think it's really important as well that, that Luke, we remind people that are listening what the trigger points can sometimes be because it may be that they, they identify those in somebody else and they're just able to, to start the conversation, you know? Yeah, very much so. And I think Oliver was really speaking to the experience of depression and, and what happens there and how uh, things begin with that withdrawing and the isolating and how that becomes something that grows and grows and grows to the point where people withdraw and isolate way too far and for too long. And it's a natural it's a natural instinct to want to do that. And Oliver, you might be able to, to, re- to talk to this point, but you know, when we're really struggling, this desire to withdraw and to, to step away and to back away and to isolate is... It, it that feels like the direction that we want to be heading in and it's okay i mean it's naturally helpful to withdraw and isolate a little bit if we're struggling it's naturally helpful to to lighten the load or to to begin to step away from things that do feel too demanding um but people go too far too for too long and we have to sort of maintain a level of functioning in order to combat things like depression. The thing about withdrawing and isolating is that it creates the perfect opportunity for your mind to start to fill that space. And we are state dependents. So if you're feeling really low, your thoughts are going to be really, really depressing. <laughs> so spending a lot of time with that is really, really troublesome. And we can get really lost in that. We can find ourselves in places that, that are unrecognizable to, to how we would normally be. And then it's really hard to come back from that. The idea that we, 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 we need to stay in touch with things like work, it just feels overwhelming and too much and people can find themselves very stuck. So that's one common response that we see people having when they're, when they're struggling. The other one that we, we can see, and I think Oliver's referenced this already, is we see these emotionally activated states. So emotional activation is where your emotion imagine your emotions are like a volume control and they go from naught to a hundred and for every emotion we can experience a degree that that can turn the volume up where they become really really felt experiences think anxiety or anger or or rage or, or even happiness any feeling it has this this volume to it and when those feelings get really really high it's very uncomfortable Emotional distress and emotional pain is, is, is it can be intolerable and so intolerable that people will want to do anything to get away from it. Within those states, it, it's, it's slightly different. We see a lot of franticness, people finding it difficult to think. They may be kind of uh, responding re- and reacting in ways where they're not grounded, uh, sort of in, these, these uh, instinctual kind of responses to, to emotions. So within anxiety, you see a lot of avoidance, people backing away from things uh, and not going near stuff that, that cause them anxiety. In anger, people hit out, they can kind of, which can cause all sorts of problems. You know, the criminal justice system is all about dealing with people that hit out um in fact it's the only emotion that doesn't get a a a compassionate response it has a a whole set of different responses to it 
so typically if we, in, in its most simplistic form we talk about this at Men's Lives Matter we see those two states depressive states where people withdraw isolate it's more numb it's it's hopeless and helpless that type of feeling whereas the other states are the really emotionally activated states where people experience a lot of anxiety or a lot of other feelings like stress or anger these types of things and I, and I think um, it's, a, it's a really naive question for me to, to ask Oliver but it's kind of like how can you approach somebody to say, you know, look, man, I think you need a little bit of help. It must be a very hard thing to actually broach the subject, you know. Have you got any advice for people that are thinking, you know, Dave's been a little bit quiet lately. I want to just try and have this, this conversation with him. Yeah, it's, it is a very difficult, um, it's a fine line between sort of <clears throat> having a few bad days or, you know, actually being depressed. So there is a fine line. It is very difficult to approach that subject. Um, the, the biggest problem I find nowadays is, Obviously, a lot of things with social media, people portray um, different aspects. So, and social media, you can look at someone's Facebook account and you think, obviously, everything's hunky dory, you wouldn't know any difference. So, that's another, unless you actually physically see seeing this person quite a lot, it's hard to make a judgment on it unless, obviously, you live with them continuously. Um, well, obviously, as you're sure you know now, it, lives are so, they're 100 mile an hour, we're all, get, you know, cocooning in our own little bubble and we just care about ourselves. So, it is very hard to, you know, to find or to see if someone is really struggling. Yes. I'm assuming there's an element of you can pretend to be okay when you're not. Of course you can. Absolutely. Everybody can do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I did that quite a lot. I just, you know, fobbed him, oh, I'm fine. I'm sort of, you know, I, I tried to deal with it myself for years on end and, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I never was. It was just, again, it was more the stigma of me. Oh, I'm a man. I don't want to... I don't want to put myself in a, a, a jeopardising position where, you know, I don't feel comfortable or I feel I look weak and stuff like that. But that's not, admitting you've got a problem is not weakness. Admitting you've got a problem is the biggest strength you could ever, ever find. Because getting to the root of the problem is, is, the, main, is the main goal at the end of the day. But trying to be a man per se and trying to man up and act like a man... What does that even mean? It yeah, it means, means nothing, does it? Means and I nothing think, at all. No, I'm with you, mate. And I think it's kind of like, it's it's hard enough to be the man that comes to you and says, look, Ollie, I think, do you need some help, mate? You know what I mean? I think that's quite Absolutely, a difficult thing yeah. to, to do, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. Um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, we've had a we've had a really challenging year with COVID and and um, all the problems that the world's been facing, and now we're we're kind of going back to a little bit of normal. So people's diaries are getting full. You know, you'll be running around in a van and you know completely filling your life. So I think that's going to bring its own pressures for people as well, because not only are we coming out of this global pandemic, it's kind of like just really busy, and we've got lives are going on. I think we need to. Um, we need to make sure that we're looking out for people that are trying to juggle their normal lives as well, you know? Yeah, it's finding that balance, isn't it, in life? And, you know, you don't want to be completely... I mean, listen, we've all got to work to earn money. I understand that. I've got to pay the bills. It makes the money go round. But you've got to find that balance of, you know, working's great, but taking on too much work-wise is not healthy. And then not working enough, again, isn't healthy. You've just got to find balance in life. is such a huge thing that I've found... Obviously, with my obviously with my food issues I had and and my mental health issues, finding a healthy balance is so important. I believe. And I think I think you know life is a little bit harder than it's been as well. Is you've got other things to remember. You've got to remember if I got my mask. I've got procedures to when I go into a customer's house. I've got to wipe down this, you know, this side where I've been working. I mean, that's got to bring its own sort of anxious and stress to to your life. You know. Yeah, it's um, difficult balance to weigh up at the moment, and people are anxious. Some people are anxious. Other people. A blase about it. Um, 
I mean, and that, I think that's you know it's important for us because I mean you've got to just talk about it, haven't you? I mean, we did a we did a podcast, the very first podcast we did as Valent was a, uh, a mental health podcast to basically just get the. Uh, perception out there that people can talk because of the isolation of the of the job and that was before a pandemic you know so it is important that we just keep revisiting the subject and and you know even if it just means that one person will reach out to somebody else and just go uh, you know a a okay mate it's kind of like it's 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 doing something that's really really important for you guys you know absolutely so are there any ways Oliver that you've been able to sort of manage your um your mental wellness when you're um when you're out and about have you have you got any tips and tricks for people that potentially have I need a little bit of help, really. Yeah. So what? What I, I, I'm already even now. Thankfully, at the moment, I'm not not on any uh, antidepressants. I'm not depressed. Um, I make sure I wake up every morning, um, six o'clock every morning, and the first thing I think about is just have a little check in with myself. How am I feeling? How's the mind process? And then I go downstairs. I take my dog out for a walk. Twenty minutes in the morning, quick walk. Come back, have a coffee, and then I've sort of set myself up. That that sort of. Um, you know, Dean Windass does it on Twitter. The first, first thing he says every morning, he's made his bed, put his pillows on top. Just having that just thing every morning just to get yourself ready for the day ahead. Not just, you know, waking up 10 minutes early if needs be. Not being rushed and, and everything so frantic in the morning. Just like giving yourself that little bit of extra time. Get yourself prepared for the day. And that's what's helped me hugely. Um, that's my biggest advice. Wake up yeah, in the morning. I love that. Checking away. in with yourself. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked a lot about installers um, who are working th- for themselves, but what about installers that potentially could be working with larger businesses? Do you think that more could be done from companies to identify mental wellness within their workforce? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so like I say, I've transitioned from working for myself four years previous to now working for a company in Stafford. Um, not massive, but big enough. There's, you know, there's 10 employees there. Um, and it's a really... My, my boss, John Bryan... Um, he really cares about you know how you feel. He, he he'll make sure you know the support network is there. Um, I just feel like in bigger companies sometimes when I've subcontracted to, to various companies, you're just sort of a cog in a wheel if that makes sense. It's just a number on a spreadsheet and you just left your own devices. There's no support network at all. It's down to you. Um, I don't think that's healthy at all. I think people need to be a lot more switched on. So the guys are out there under pressure every day. You got say you got ten jobs to do. Got to get here, travel to there, get this one done, get that one done. It's just constant pressure, constant pressure with no support network in place. It's not, it's not easy at all. I mean, you know, it's got to be hard, hasn't it? I suppose for some people to go to their sort of like the boss or the manager to say, "Look, I, I feel like I'm having a bit of a problem," you know? Yeah, that's the other thing. Obviously, like again, going reference back to my boss, John, is the most approachable guy I've ever, you know, I've ever worked for. He's fantastic. I can, I can talk to him about anything. I can open up to him about anything. And I think if you're in a management position. You've got to sort of, you know, your door's always got to be open and you've got to offer that facility to people to be able to talk. There's nothing worse than working for a company where you feel under pressure and you feel like you can't, you know, speak to... There's no support network there. You can't speak to anyone about the troubles you're having. You feel, you know, under pressure to say anything and stuff like that. It's very difficult. And then then it's obviously you have to deal with things yourself and that's where things can start spiraling out of control. And Luke, I suppose it's really natural for an employer to want to try and help their um, their workforce. Um, probably quite a difficult thing thing for those guys to broach with you. But I mean, is there anything that these guys could be doing to try and do something for their employees and their workforce? 
Yeah, so I, th- I think the first first point of any change is that people have to have to sort of see this as something that that's in, in their interest. It's worthwhile, but also that I mean that can be in terms of the financial benefits and productivity, but it's also an ethical and moral question that I think we need to pose about how we organise ourselves around work and what are the responsibilities of organisations for their employees and how do people come to that task of building. Uh, work environments that are mentally healthy that allow people to function at their most optimum and be their most productive and choose to want to do that rather than feel as though it's it's something that um, isn't valued or it's underappreciated or that they're not taken care of or thought of. I mean, f- for me, I thought a natural sort of thing to do would be, to, you know, like a happy workforce, more productive, you know, the employees make more money. It kind of makes perfect sense to me, really. The other thing, sorry, the other thing I find a problem there as well is when if employees care about your mental health, again, it's going back to breaking stigma. People still fob off mental health as just people look at it and don't believe it, don't think it's a real issue. Now, if you don't believe it's a real issue, you're not going to address the issue potentially in the room, are you? Because you think mental health, oh, it's just a, it's just a, um, just an excuse for you know feeling down so you don't oh, it's nothing just get on with it sort of thing if they don't truly believe that mental health is an issue and it is a serious problem then they're not going to put implement changes to, to, to benefit their workforce that's spot on I, I totally agree totally agree I mean where would and again it's a question for either of you guys but I mean if you were an employer listening to this you know what would be the first steps where would you go to try and um, put something in place to mean that you're trying to look after your workforce a little better I mean, I personally think, I mean, it's, it's workloads as well sometimes, like realistic workloads. If you've got, you know, just slacken the workload a little bit sometimes. Come to the office for a coffee first thing in the morning. Don't always just, oh, go straight out onto the job, leave it to your own devices, do your 10 jobs and go home. Check in. You don't have to make a phone call. We've got WhatsApp groups at Plumgas and stuff like that. I know there's a support network there. Offer that, that, there's got to be a support network in place. That's an easy thing to start with. Have a coffee. Just check, how are you doing today, mate? How's, how's your job going? It's a simple, it sounds so simple, me saying it, but it often gets overlooked and doesn't actually happen. Yeah, and I suppose like teammates play a lot of a part, don't they? You know, if you work as part of a gang or, you know, work with a few of your mates, I mean, they can really, really help, can't they? Yeah, again, work, work, um, WhatsApp groups, work, we have a work WhatsApp group, bit of camaraderie on the WhatsApp group, bit of, bit of banter, bit of, bit of a laugh, checking in, stuff like that. You know, it's just having, you've got to get them support networks in place, but you've got to believe in it first. If you believe it's a, th- a serious problem, then you will do something about it. If you just fob it off as though it's just an excuse to someone's having a bad day, then unfortunately, again, it's going back to breaking the stigma. We've got to break the stigma. We've got to people have got to believe this is a serious medical issue. This is not just some flash in the pan or having a couple of bad days. It's a real, real issue. Mental health is depression in the workplace, stuff like that. The 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 consequences are so great. This is this is the 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 the. The, the reason why organisations are, are it's in their interest to address it if it gets to a point where it gets to that very severe level that Oliver's talking about that that means people aren't going to be around they're going to be off they're not going to be in the workplace contributing to the shared tasks so putting things in place to prevent things getting to the point where they get to that extreme is really important so we can even reframe it in a more positive way that actually what we want to be doing is rather than having to deal with those big issues at that point where they become very severe, what we want to be doing is not getting there in the first place. So how do you create environments that actually support people's well-being? 
And that leads to people being more productive. And in the long term, it, it leads to better outcomes. And, and, and it's in the interest of businesses and employees and employers to, to do that. This is an opportunity, actually, to, to, to be better and to, to offer, to be, to be more productive, more efficient. By focusing on this very issue, we can actually get wonderful outcomes that could be better than they are at the moment. So, yeah, I completely agree. The last thing you want is your any of your workforce or your employees being off with man, with long-term mental health issues. Surely if you nip it in the bud before it gets to that issue, it's beneficial for the employee and the company because guys are happy, guys are working, people aren't off, aren't off ill. It, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, we we have a we have a theory at Ben's Minds Matter that that where that I talk about a lot and um, in relation to to how work is often sort of the culture within work is that you give a hundred percent. That doesn't leave much room for to go anywhere. The only place you can go from there is down. I mean, people do give more than a hundred percent sometimes, which is unsustainable long term and leads to burnout. We believe that eighty percent is what we should be aiming for as a consistent daily average to aim for. What that enables people to do is give 100% when they choose to, when they feel that they have the energy, they can give that extra, that bumps their average up. Now, if you get a problem and you've given that little bit extra, you can then take a step back. You can give 60%. When the time, when times get very tough, when there are other issues that need attention, that you can take a step back and have that space to give a little bit less because you're getting a little bit more, that little bit less will average it back down. So 80% is the new 100, I think. We should be trying to do that more consistently. And over time, there's greater productivity in that because you don't get people giving no percent. You know, 10% is better than no percent. 20% is better than 10%. Yeah, you've got, you've got, you've got to set, set realistic goals, haven't you, like with, with your employees and someone giving 100% every day, you're going to burn them out quickly. Exactly. And like you say, some days are more productive than other days. All, every job's different. You walk into one house, it's completely different to the other house from my point of view. And you're right, we all aim to give 100% every day, of course. But realistically, this is not, it's just not realistic, is it? Yeah, it's a false economy. Absolutely. It's a false economy. It's, it's long term, the, the, the issue. I mean, I think I remember going to a, a talk many years ago and they were talking about the, the cost of, of these types of problems to the UK economy. And they, 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 this number of 50, 60 billion pounds per year was lost to absenteeism and presenteeism. Presenteeism is being at work but not giving what you can. 50, 60 billion pounds per year. That's a huge amount. So paying attention to this has has, has major implications for for workforce for for the employee and the employer. It's, it's in everybody's interest. Hundred percent, it is. Yeah, um, and I think you know it's been it's been a super interesting podcast today. We've covered a lot of ground in today's episode. I mean, for me personally, I'm going to make sure that I take the time to check in with myself every morning, Oliver. I absolutely love that, and I'm going to do that from today onwards. Um, and we could literally we could go on for hours talking and we've only just stretched the surface with the topic over over two podcasts actually Um, I would just remains me to say really for you both if you could just give one piece of um, advice advice or tell somebody you know the most interesting important thing to remember from this podcast uh, to take away from today uh, Luke what would it be? (laughs) Uh, To boil it down to one thing um look after yourself you know if you if you load a mule up too much it will kick Um, we're not an endless resource 
we we don't, can't be all things to everybody all the time. Uh, so we have to be careful, otherwise uh, we will we will struggle. So be sensitive, and as Oliver says, uh, you know, being able to check in with yourself and how you are, and noticing that is a really, really, really effective technique in being able to notice and then be able to organize yourself around the rest of your day. But you know, look after yourselves. Um, you're not invincible. Thank you, Luke and Oliver. You one you one thing that people can take away. That's, we've got to break the stigma. We've got to break the stigma. That's the most important thing to me, for me, sorry. Um, breaking that stigma, showing strength by admitting you have a problem is showing strength. Hiding away and not dealing with it is weakness for me. Opening up, opening up is strength. Strong words there, Molly. Absolutely. Thank you very much. The conversation around mental health is clearly stepping up a gear. But as we've discussed today, it needs to be something that carries on. When it comes to our industry, the long hours and extended periods of time out on the road can easily make people feel alone. So it's important to remember that there's a whole host of support available. For those of you listening who would like to find out more about the support available, we'll share some helpful links from Men's Minds Matter and other sources in the episode description. Thanks again, everyone, and see you next time.